When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Millie is with us and asleep. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Like I said last week, the podcast is planned around her sleep schedule. So we'll, uh, we'll see what we get this week. We're coming off of an outstanding weekend of college baseball. It was a really exciting weekend all around. A very surprising weekend, I would say, Peter. It was like sweeps week everywhere. There, there were... There was a lot of, of stuff that really shook up the postseason race, some, uh, some, some conference title races. So we're going to get into a lot of that. We're going to get into some of what to expect in the week ahead. Uh, that is highlighted by Duke going to Virginia. Yes, we're talking about Duke, and we'll, uh, we'll get deep into the Blue Devils, who are one of the hottest teams in the country. Uh, we've got Vanderbilt taking on Kentucky, out west Arizona State and Oregon. And uh, first place is on the line in the Big Ten with uh, Maryland visiting Indiana. So a lot to get to on this week's edition, Peter. It, last weekend, I there were sweeps all over the place. Five of the SEC's seven series were sweeps. Four in the ACC, three in the Big 12. Army-Navy was even a sweep. I mean, it was – I we don't – I don't have data to support this, but it feels like there just have been more sweeps this year than ever before in college baseball. And never was that more on display than last weekend. Well, not only that, but we had closed off air, I guess. We had talked about how the weekend prior to last was hard in terms of making the top 25 and that there was probably no way that this past weekend could make it any more difficult. And it it probably made it 10 times more difficult with all the sweeps going on. And we were kind of talking how we were getting some clarity on some teams. And there was a group that was separating itself from the top, which I still think remains true for the most part. Um, While some teams like Arkansas and Florida, they had down weekends. I, that doesn't totally change my thinking on them as a club going forward, but no, it was a, it was a crazy weekend across the country. Obviously, teams like Duke surging into our rankings. And the more I watch that Duke team, the more I like them, which we'll get into later, I'm sure. But Boston College, like Boston College had a really big bounce-back weekend, which was something they needed. And speaking of really needing bounce-back weekends, something we'll also get into was Tennessee sweeping Vanderbilt, which I think may have been the most not quite sure of the adjective, I guess, needed, surprising, important maybe result of the weekend in terms of turning a season around. But as college baseball seems to do week in and week out, there are always some surprises. So I think that's what makes it so great. And while this weekend there might not be the star-studded slate as we've seen in past weeks, we've we've been kind of spoiled where how the season's shaken out. We've had blockbuster series each weekend. We might not have that this weekend, but 
I'm sure that inevitably there's going to be someone that takes a series from someone that we're sitting here talking about next week. So I'm excited to break it all down. No doubt about that. You know, let's uh, let's start in the SEC, as we so often do. The SEC slate this coming weekend is good, not great, I would say. But last weekend's was great. And it started with South Carolina and Florida and Arkansas and Georgia, even on Thursday night. South Carolina and Florida got a lot of attention going into it for obvious reasons. You know, top five, top ten matchup. And uh, South Carolina really needed something to they they needed to show something they had home field advantage they were coming off of a tough series loss at Vanderbilt uh, and now they had an opportunity to bounce back at Founders Park whereas we've said so often they are just really difficult to beat and uh, they got it they they got absolutely everything they needed uh, sweeping away Florida South Carolina moves into with all of the results of the weekend South Carolina finished the weekend in first place in the SEC East we move them up to number two in the, the top 25 in the latest field of 64 projections. I had South Carolina had consistently been outside the top eight seeds for me. I think for like the last month, I like completely reversed that. They're now the number three overall seed. They're number one in RPI. This is a team that is quite good. And they, they, they went out and, and they really controlled the series uh, against Florida the whole way. I mean, they... They they did everything you would want to see from them. Uh, unlike the previous two weeks where they had won the first game of the series against LSU and against Vanderbilt, but then been unable to finish. They won the first game against Florida. They run-ruled Florida on Thursday night, and then they just kept going. They pit, South Carolina pitched at a really high level. Florida had come into the weekend averaging nine and a half runs per game. They scored 10 runs on the weekend. And I think to me, that was the most interesting or, or, or surprising or just biggest re- part of that weekend was South Carolina showing up the way that they did on the mound because we had said, we think there are going to be a lot of runs in this series. If you like home runs, this is a great series for you. Like this will be an offensive series. And it wasn't like a series of pitching duels, but South Carolina really took away that Florida offense and, and, and w- was able to, they didn't have to go out and score 12 runs a game to beat Florida. They were able to to contain Florida. Maybe not, they didn't shut them out. They didn't stop it completely, but they really contained Florida in a way that we haven't seen so far this season. And for me, that was the loudest part of the weekend for the Gamecocks. I agree. And I, and I expected like you coming into this weekend to see a bunch of nine to eight, not like eight to six, 10 to eight high scoring ball games with four to six pitchers being used on whatever side it might be. But South Carolina got through the series only using eight arms and the way that they came out. And I mean, they commanded the series from really the end of the top of the first on Friday onward because Florida they struck first looked like Will Sanders may have been on the ropes but he comes back out and turns out he has really good stuff and I was mainly impressed with his breaking ball that he got a bunch of swing and miss on and particularly that that pitch neutralized Caglione so I'm curious to see other pitchers with quality breaking balls how they might attack Caglione um we'll see but no I, they came out and, and proved that I think for now that they're the better club. 
and offensively, they might not even have the names or star power that Florida does, but Ethan Petrie continues to be outstanding. He rakes against no matter the talent level of pitching. We saw it against Paul Skeens. Now we saw it against Brandon Sprout with him hitting his 20th home run of the year. And then I'm most impressed, and you can see it while they play, is the team chemistry that they have, and every guy is pulling the rope. I think the perfect example of that, at least on Friday, was, or I guess Thursday, was Michael Braswell with the three-for-three, three-double game. I think he really sparked the offense. He got everyone going. It's clear to see that everyone's pulling for each other. And I was... um, yeah, I, w- I was just really blown away by the Gamecocks, and it's clear that they have something going that not a lot of people can can replicate in the country, no matter how well they they start playing. And Chris Veach has emerged as a really solid option in the back end of that bullpen. He's got an outstanding changeup. The mound presence is there. They're going to get Noah Hall back into that rotation, which takes the load off of someone like Matthew Becker, and you can put him in more of a swing roll down the road like Eli Jones. So when talking about and looking at this Gamecocks team, it's hard to poke a hole in it, and they are going to be, at least on my short list, for a potential national champion. Now, there's still a lot of season left to be played, and it's weird to say with only I don't know, three and a half weeks left in the regular season. But um, that weekend kind of fully sold me on South Carolina. And granted, if if there are any South Carolina fans listening to this, you're probably being like, why weren't you sold after 20 games? And maybe I was late to the party, but after last weekend, I'm, I'm fully all in on them. South Carolina is second nationally in ERA behind uh, only Wake Forest. And this is a team that a year ago was 11th in the SEC in in ERA. They've knocked like two full runs, more than two full runs off of their ERA. Now, of course, we have to finish the season to make that an apples to apples comparison. But regardless, the the jump that they've made on the mound, I know they dealt with some injuries last year, um, but it's not just about being healthier this year. They, they have made a real jump, and, and, and I think that that is the primary reason why they are so much better this year. Uh, you can point to any number of things, like adding Ethan Petrie obviously has been hugely significant, and their offense has been humming right along, but just the jump that they've made to me is why I would agree with you, Peter, that they are a true national championship contender, why they're a team that's at the top of the East, that you know, split a series with LSU. We'll never know how how that series might have ended. But th- this is why they're positioned to do everything. And I mean, here's the thing right now. They are, you know, I, I said that I, I moved them up to number three in the uh, in the field of 64, the, you know, the, in the seedings. If they finish this thing, number one in RPI, they're probably going to finish with a better SEC record than LSU like that's at least on the table I should say I I shouldn't say probably they might they have a better SEC record than LSU right now I mean being the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament is not out of the question for for the Gamecocks now we cannot discuss whether you actually want that or not given given the history but uh that's fully on the table for them anything they want is on the table that's how well they're playing right now and I've just been really impressed with 
with the evolution throughout the season, you know, when I watched them early on against Clemson, I saw a good team that was still, you know, learning some things. And, you know, it, it was it was February or March or whatever it was. Uh, I guess it was the first weekend of March. I, you're you're supposed to be in that learning stage then, but not every team makes the steps that you need to make from, you know, that that early March to the end of April. Uh, but I, I think South Carolina has continued to grow throughout the season, and that's why they are where they they are, and, and they have a really good chance to to finish strong. Uh, I, I think they, they do have two road series left against Kentucky and Arkansas. They, they have home against Auburn and Tennessee. Um, but I, I like where they're at. I, I think that you know they know who they are now, and they're very, very comfortable with who they are, and they're very comfortable at home where they're 24-1 and one this season. So I, you know, on the flip side of all of this, if you're Florida, yes, this weekend was not good. Yes, there were concerns that were raised or reiterated. But I think you also have to understand that South Carolina's 24 and one at home. The only team that beat them at home was LSU and that required a a late comeback to do it. So, uh, you know, if you're Florida, you definitely are not happy that you got swept. Uh, Even winning one game in Columbia would have been, would have been nice, but I'm not hitting the panic button for the Gators at this stage. I was going to say, and that's such a good point to make in talking about how great South Carolina was and, and all of the praise that they deserve. Of course, Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff aren't sitting there being like, oh, it's okay, guys. They're 24-1 at Founders Park. It was an uphill battle going into it. Like, great job. Like, they're not sitting there doing that. But similar to you, I am not worried in the slightest about Florida. I I think this weekend was just much more validating on my end for South Carolina. Yeah, and the the concerns I would have for Florida right now are just where I, I don't think this is anything new when we talk about like does Florida have enough depth on the mound and everything. And yes, they were down their closer because Brandon Dealey was suspended for the weekend following his ejection the week before. But yeah, you know, they didn't get him. They, that that didn't really factor in in the way that it, it's not like they blew multiple saves. I guess is what I'm saying. They did not have leads after the second inning of any of these games, I, I believe maybe it was the third. And, and so that's a, that that's an issue. They've got to get better on the mound, whether that means more depth from the starters or finding bullpen arms or whatever. But the problem is it's may now almost. And how much better are you, are you actually going to get? Uh, but they, they have to find a way to, uh, to be a little bit better on, on the pitching side, because this is not the Florida teams that, that have the best pitching staffs in the country. Like that, that's just not who they are. And that's fine because they've got a much better offense than some of those teams have had. But uh, they, they are going to have to find a little more on the mound, I think, if they're going to uh, you know, make that, that kind of postseason run that they're capable of. I agree. And we're so late in the season that making an adjustment like this is pretty drastic and hard to pull off. But I, I've been talk thinking about it for a little while and we even talked about it a a few weeks back maybe more than a month back on the college podcast but i'd love to see or maybe wonder what jack caglione would look like in a one to two inning late reliever role or setup role as they hand the ball to brandon neely even because that's 97 to 100 from the left side with a budding breaking ball and I feel like that's a guy who can just give you one or two innings, collect four Ks, 
and hitting a couple of zeros in the later innings. Now, that's an elite coaching staff over there. So, of course, that's something that this isn't rocket science to them. This isn't some revelation. So I'm sure that they've already worked through this. But I, he has been at the plate. He's been maybe the best hitter in the country all year, um, other than Dylan Cruz and actually maybe even Ethan Petrie. But um, he's struggled in his last – I think it's been three of the last four starts or four of the last five where he's failed to make it through four complete innings, which um, they've, they've gone three and two on Sundays in the last five Sundays, which, you know, it's fine, but I, th- that's kind of the one move I'm curious to see if they think about making here. In SEC play, uh, he has only gotten to five, you know, out of the fourth inning, uh, against Alabama and Georgia and against Alabama, he gave up five runs in five innings. So Georgia is like the one, like he was five innings. He gave up two runs. Like you can feel good about that from your Sunday starter. I do think at this point though, he kind of like it, it, this has to be their best option. Like they are aware that he's not giving them length. You know, it do- doesn't take much to see that. Uh, Yoel Tejada is their midweek starter. And like, he's been fine as a freshman, but you know, clearly that doesn't seem like the the move that they want to make. So I think this is what it is and they have to piece it together on Sundays and that makes it hard. You know, we'll see. I, you're saying it's late in the season to make these kinds of moves and it is, but let's switch to Tennessee and Vanderbilt because Tennessee has made some significant adjustments and it led to some incredible success uh, against Vanderbilt this weekend or last weekend in, in Knoxville. Vanderbilt comes in. Uh, They're leading the SEC East. They're rolling. They haven't lost a series all season. They're just coming off of that South Carolina series win. Uh, And meanwhile, Tennessee was scuffling as much as he could be. They'd just been swept at Arkansas. They lost to Tennessee Tech. They they were on a four-game losing streak, and here come their rivals. And there went their rivals because Tennessee really took it to them this weekend. They won 4-3 to in extra innings on Friday night. That was a great gutty win by Tennessee. Tennessee needed a ninth inning comeback to tie that game and send it to extras, and then they were able to get it done there and, and, and win the, the opener. And then their offense just exploded the next couple days, especially on Saturday when they run-ruled Vanderbilt. They finished it off the sweep with a 10-5 to win on Sunday. Really impressive weekend all the way around for the Vols. But you know, to, to the extent that we were just talking about this with Florida, Tennessee took their struggling star starting pitcher, Chase Burns, two weeks ago and put him in the bullpen. And against Arkansas, uh, I mean, it worked like Chase Burns threw five solid innings, but it was a more traditional, like kind of lawn relief situation, uh, piggyback maybe even. Against Vanderbilt, though, he comes in in a high leverage situation on Friday night, gets out of a jam takes them through extra innings, gives the offense time to finally break through against Nick Maldonado, and they win the game. And then they bring him back two days later on Sunday to to finish off a, you know, the, the game. It wasn't a safe situation, but I was incredibly impressed by what Chase Burns has showed out of the bullpen since they made that move. The fact that they're already using him twice in a weekend speaks volumes to me. And Andrew Lindsay's been quite good. At the front of the rotation now, Chase Dollander has settled in and pitched so much better uh, on Saturdays versus Fridays. I don't know what's up with that. 
Um, you know, there, there are any number of things that, that go into being a Friday starter. I recently talked with Quinn Matthews about this at Stanford, and I will eventually write that story, hopefully within the next week. But he talked about just how much being the Friday starter, like it's about like, like there is just a difference, like the mentality that you have to have that you're asked to have in that role is different. And maybe Chase Dollander is just more comfortable on Saturdays. I don't know, but he's pitched better the last two weeks. And then Drew Beam is still out there doing his thing on on Sundays for the most part. He's been Tennessee's most consistent starter all season long. So Tennessee seems to have found something that works with the pitching staff. And uh, clearly they're comfortable playing at home. We know that, Uh, but it was uh, it was a massive weekend. Like you said, Peter, this one, really turns things around for Tennessee. They were five and 10 in the SEC in SEC play play going into it backs against their wall. We had an outright discussion after they lost to Tennessee tech about is Tennessee going to salvage this thing and get to the postseason? We both said yes, but I think we both thought it was going to be closer uh, than we do right now because coming out of this series, it's hard not to feel great about where the balls are. Right. And we were sitting there talking about the, Vols postseason aspirations almost as if they had they had already lost that series to Vanderbilt because we were kind of thinking okay hopefully that they can avoid that sweep Vanderbilt's playing exceptionally well right now Tennessee whatever the opposite of exceptionally well is and it after that Friday night walk off and I didn't want to assume the results of the rest of the series but after that Friday night walk off things did feel a lot different. That was a game where I think that if they ended up losing it after tying it in the bottom of the ninth, if they lost that in extra innings, I'm not sure how they fare in the rest of that series, but I'm with you in, and as I said that talking about how it might be too late for Florida to make a little switch in the rotation, the Tennessee audible, it might be drastic to say it, but it's borderline season saving because Chase Burns is he was a legit weapon even as a starter. Yes, he 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 had his struggles this year. He got hit a little bit, but out of the bullpen, that's there's not anyone in the. I don't want to go that far, but he is a very rare, very very rare type of guy to have at your disposal. And I mean, the dude's the- throwing a hundred. I don't know how many guys are throwing a hundred out of, out of the bullpen this year. I mean, I'm sure it's happening somewhere cause that's college baseball in 2020. That's baseball in 2023, but that fastball, like his, it, it, it his stuff is, is special. I was going to say there was one fastball and it was a hundred elevated. And I think it was to get out of gosh, either the 11th or the 12th thing, but he got out of the inning with a, strikeout on a on an elevated fastball that on the stadium gun had at 100 and it looked like it just teleported to the catcher's mitt and he just seems a lot more confident in this role and comfortable and he seems way more in control on the mound like he's the one that's dictating the pace as opposed to the off the opposing offense kind of taking it to him and the, one of the last points he made, which was how they were comfortable using him twice in a weekend, I thought that stood out most to me when after they used him for three on Thursday or Friday. Friday. Um, yeah, on Friday. They come back and use him again to close it on Sunday. And then the the offense steps up, and it, it's kind of the, the Tennessee team we were waiting for all year. Hunter Ensley had a great weekend. Griffin Merritt was really impressive, and I know that 
he's gotten off to a bit of a slower start this year, but getting someone like him to produce in as we head into the home stretch here is going to really pay dividends for the Vols. And then last night, they kind of do what we thought that they would do or, or think that they would do to a lesser opponent in midweek is they go out and win 19-1. to So I want to be cautious in saying that Tennessee is fully back because well, I think that they're pretty safe in terms of a regional now, and they're honestly not out of contention. It's a little bit of a, a stretch at this point, but they're not out of a contention to even host a regional at this point, but they're pretty safe in the postseason. And what I think also plays in their favor is they have a they have a pretty favorable schedule coming up. They welcome Mississippi State to Lindsey Nelson this weekend, and then they go to Georgia and then they have Kentucky at home. So while there's really no easy weekend in the SEC, this is this is about as good of a stretch as the Vols could have lined up, I think, at this point to get guys solidified in their roles, get Chase Burns even more comfortable out of the bullpen, establish Andrew Lindsay as your fur as your game one starter. And if they can ride this momentum into the postseason, we've seen it in the past with teams that have gotten off to slow starts literally last year with Ole Miss. I don't think they'll be the last team in like Ole Miss, but we've seen it where teams will get off to a slow start. They're kind of figuring out where guys fit in and they rip off however many games in a row and take it into the postseason and end up in Omaha. So very good times on Rocky Top, I think. 25 and four at home in Knoxville. I feel great about them and their two home series. Their two road series are tricky. Uh, we've talked at length already about how difficult it is to go to South Carolina, which is where Tennessee ends the season. Now, I mean, you can hope that maybe by then South Carolina's kind of finished everything they need to finish and is coasting into the SEC tournament. You know, we'll see. Uh, their other road series is at Georgia in two weeks, and we'll uh, we'll get into what how difficult that series has suddenly become. Uh, but in terms of just getting in, Tennessee's in a great spot now, and they'll. Um, you know, if they can kick on from this, you know, if they can play like the Tennessee team that played this weekend for the next four or five, six, however many more weeks there are left in the season, uh, they'll they'll be in a great spot to do whatever it is they're they're trying to do. Uh, and this weekend against Mississippi State, they got a they've got the perfect opportunity to just keep this momentum going. Uh, it's a home weekend, and Mississippi State is coming off of a brutal series loss at Auburn that probably ended their I mean for me anyway it ended their postseason chances which were very slim coming into that but uh, they blew a seven run lead at Auburn in um, in the finale of that series they absolutely needed that game they didn't get it Uh, I think bouncing back from that you know staying on the road and, and, and going to Knoxville is asking an awful lot of Mississippi State but they are the 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 Bulldogs did just go out and, and beat Ole Miss in um, the Governor's Cup on, on Tuesday, so maybe that you know helped them move past that and, and get into a, a, a good mindset for this weekend. But Tennessee really needs to uh, to build off of this weekend moving forward uh, quickly. Peter with Vanderbilt, uh, much like Florida, I'm not I'm not pa- pressing a panic button. I'm concerned about Vanderbilt's depth on the mound when they're not fully healthy, which they're not right now, uh, and it showed this weekend. They gotta get they gotta get back to that. Hopefully, they are able to get back to that. 
if they're not fully healthy on the mound, they certainly they have some limitations. It seems like Carter Holton was very good on Friday night. Uh, the rest of their pitching staff wasn't great. It's hard to pitch at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, especially if you're the kind of pitcher that Vanderbilt has. You know, they don't have the Chase Dollander throws a their 98 and strike everybody out kind of staff. They have a like more traditional pitching staff that's typically full of left-handers, and uh, it, it just makes for a tough matchup. Um, that being said, however, I think it's fair to have some concerns about this Vanderbilt team. And what I initially thought early in the season was one of the best or perhaps the best pitching staff in the country, uh, certainly has had its depth exposed in SEC play. I agree. And especially when they're not fully healthy is when holes like this are going to become even more gaping. I think with Vanderbilt not having Hunter Owen and a couple of bullpen arms this weekend in a hitter friendly ballpark at Tennessee, where so many of these guys are pitchability over stuff with the exception of Patrick Riley and Grayson Carter and a couple of others. A lot of these guys are built on throwing quality strikes and living around the strike zone and avoiding hard contact. And when they don't have electric stuff, we kind of saw it with Bryce Cunningham. I mean, they're going to get hit around the yard a little bit. But with the, I say that with the overarching point of I'm not worried about Vanderbilt. I do think that they but I do think that they have a bit of an issue on the pitching side when their staff's not firing on all cylinders because early in the year we were talking, and it's funny to see how all these teams evolve as we actually get sample sizes worth noting. Early in the season, we are talking about Vanderbilt's pitching staff being one of, if not maybe the best in the country up there with Wake Forest with what they were doing and winning a bunch of 2-1 to one games and 2 nothing games and just – and, and getting by like that. But as we've come on and, and gone through the season, their offense has hit its stride. They're getting production from all parts of the order. And now it's kind of like, okay, the offense is carrying the load and the pitching has scuffled a little bit. But I, I do think that when you get a potential top 100 overall pick arm back in Hunter Owen and you get some of these bullpen guys healthy and Carter Holton really starts to hit his stride again um, and turn in like gems at, at some point, which I think he will. Um, I think that, that they'll be just fine and the key will be getting them healthy. Um, that's, that's not necessarily a given. Um, well, it's a given they'll get healthy, but it's not necessarily a given they'll be back to their, their best form. But I, once they, once they get back and return to action and and get their feet under them, I think that it'll be a concern that becomes less as we head into the postseason. The other massive sweep uh, in the SEC last weekend was Georgia taking down Arkansas. Um, For me, that was maybe the most surprising. Uh, Tennessee was certainly surprising, but I, I did not anticipate Georgia sweeping Arkansas, and particularly the way they did it, they won three close games. They won on Thursday night, six to five. They got up, Georgia did, they got up early, held off a late Arkansas comeback attempt. They win seven to three in the middle game. Again, get up early, hold off an Arkansas comeback attempt. 
And then on Saturday in the finale, uh, it was that it was the the Bulldogs that that came back. They were down eight to four going into the ninth inning. Arkansas did not record an out in the ninth inning. The the first three batters got on. Georgia gets a grand slam to tie the game, and then the very next pitch is uh, is a walk off home run. And Georgia wins nine to eight. And we talked about how much Tennessee flipped their postseason hopes. Uh, Georgia coming into the weekend was four and eleven in the SEC. I wasn't even really taking it. I, I when I was looking at field of sixty four stuff, I was Georgia was not a team that I was paying spending any amount of time on. And now they're in the field because uh, they're seven and eleven. They have a favorable schedule coming up. They're at Ole Miss this weekend. They're home against Tennessee. They're at Missouri. They're home against LSU. And I love the fact that their two, quote unquote, easier series uh, are on the road. Uh, Georgia's not an incredible road team by any means, but I'd rather, uh, you know, the, the way they're playing at home right now, having just swept Arkansas, they won a series against Kentucky. Uh, I would much rather have to be have Tennessee and LSU coming to me than having to go to them. Uh, so we'll see what Georgia can do from here, but uh, massive weekend for them. Georgia's really kind of flipped some of this, uh, you know, despite having some injuries. Uh, Jaden Woods didn't pitch this weekend. But they got a guy like Charlie Goldstein to, to step up. Uh, he threw six scoreless, uh, and, and over the last three weeks, he's only given up three runs and 16 and a third. You got to have things like that happen. I mean, Charlie Condon has been leading the Georgia offense all year. He's great. He was great again this weekend. But having something like like Goldstein step up like that, that is what allows a team like Georgia to rise up and and have uh, the run that they're currently putting together. Right. And and we saw it this weekend and we've seen it in weekends past with Georgia when they they also had a nice series win when they, it, it seemed like they won it in a flash, but on Easter Sunday, they took two from Kentucky to notch another key series win. And this is a very, this is a really underrated and scrappy bunch. Like you mentioned, they have the headliner with Charlie Condon and then Connor Tate is the other guy who's been really producing. But other than that, they've, they've had guys step up, up and down the lineup. You've seen even people like grad transformation, the plant have good games. Corey Collins has, not been as productive as the staff probably would have thought he was going to be this year, but he's still producing um, parks. Harbor has 14 home runs and what they have on the pitching staff, I think makes them most intriguing because Charlie Goldstein is another kind of pitchability lefty um, more, more than I think Liam Sullivan is because Sullivan has, much better stuff, especially with his changeup. But Goldstein was even was able to even keep the Florida lineup off balance for his start, and he did so again this weekend with Arkansas. And that becomes a pretty formidable rotation once they get Jane Woods back. If they if they opt to go three lefties with Woods, Sullivan, and Goldstein, and it's going to create a lot a lot of matchup problems for opposing lineups because they're all lefties with good stuff um they're gonna pound the strike zone and then they have good bullpen arms with dalton radins and freshman matthew hoskins who's really stepped up and i've been impressed with so it was a little bit of a bummer that they lost last night against georgia state in their midweek but right now they've got an rpi of 26 they have i think a pretty 
favorable schedule remaining. Like you said, they welcome Tennessee to Athens, which is where they've played. Um, they've played solid all year, but again, you'd rather welcome them to Athens than go on the road to Lindsey Nelson to face a surging Tennessee team and one that I assume and probably think is still going to be playing pretty good baseball. Um, and then it's they go to Missouri, which Missouri is a solid club. They've fallen off a little bit. And then LSU, but with LSU, I alluded to the Rocky for Ivan Drago being cut reference a little bit a, a couple weeks ago. And I think now more than ever, they, they're human. They lost, they've now lost two consecutive midweek games and, and that's a whole other wormhole to go down. But the bottom line is that they're, the dogs have a pretty, they've got a good, good thing going right now. And I I think that they're going to have to really play themselves out of the tournament with what they have left and what, what I think that they're going to rack up. So, um, they really got back up from, from the math this weekend. And I hope that the Georgia state loss doesn't carry into this weekend because that would be a little bit of a bummer, I think for, for them to go down to Oxford and drop a series. But I, I'm, they're a team I'm really intrigued about down south. I, I think, um, you know, obviously you don't want to lose those midweeks, but for so many SEC teams at this point, like I, like not for rankings purposes, like <clears throat> they still count their wins and losses. But if you're looking at just tournament stuff for a team like Georgia, like it, it almost doesn't even matter anymore. Their RPI is fine. Like the better your RPI is, maybe the more leniency the committee will show. But like if you win these SEC games, like, they'll they'll fix everything that just happened to their RPI, which was at falling eight spots by losing to Georgia State. Like you just take care of business in the SEC. You get to that 13, 14 win mark in the SEC and the rest of this takes care of itself. Um, So yes, I I say that for Georgia, but I also say that for Arkansas, who we're going to talk about uh, now and and for anyone else, LSU lost last night, like somebody will lose next week. And all of this is kind of irrelevant the SEC games are really what matters uh, if you're looking at tournament stuff. Arkansas now, they lost to Missouri State last night. They've lost four straight. Arkansas is a team that uh, has played abysmally on the road, and uh, that's what the last four games have kind of reinforced. This is a, a team that is three and seven in true road games, and two of those wins are against Ole Miss, which um, obviously is you know not last year's Ole Miss. So the bigger concern though with Arkansas, like taking away the road game concern is that they are very injured right now. Uh, Jared Wagner out with a broken thumb. Uh, their catcher Parker Rowland was out most of the, the Georgia series, if not all of the Georgia series, Tavian Josenberger, uh, their center fielder left uh, the, the finale against Georgia with an injury. They've got arms that are banged up. They're hoping to get Brady Tiger back soon, but they've got arms that are banged up. It's uh, it's all just starting to kind of add up a little bit for the Razorbacks. I was going to say, this is the first kind of stretch of games where I think I've seen and we've all seen these injuries kind of rear their head with Arkansas because to this point they've been able to get by. But when you have someone like Jackson Wiggins go down and Brady Tiger go down for an extended period and then also another key bullpen arm, go down in Cody Frank, it's kind of like, okay, we can maybe make do without these guys, but we really cannot afford anyone else on, on either side of the baseball 
going go down with an injury and it's unfortunate what happened with Wagner and Josenberger's banged up and and other guys have have nicks and bruises so I think that I'm of the of the SEC SEC teams that got swept of the notable top 10 teams with Florida, Vandy, and Arkansas. I'm absolutely most concerned about the Razorbacks. Like you said, three and seven intro row games. They're very, very injured right now. And as you head into the postseason, depth is what gets you to Omaha, gets you through super regionals. And even game threes in in regionals or game fives, I guess you should, I, I should say. But um it is they they've got to get these guys back and healthy especially brady tiger and jared wagner will it sounds like we'll be back before season's end but i just yeah i I, i'm with you in i just don't i really question the depth that they have right now and how far they can really go and it just seems like i I don't want to say running out of the running out of gas because that might not be the right phrase, but it just seems like they, the season is it it's catching up to them and it doesn't get any easier in sec play. Of course they, they get Texas A&M at home, which is where they're 25 and three. And then they go to Mississippi state, but then heading into the sec tournament, they've got South Carolina and Bandy. So a really tough stretch coming for the hogs. And I, I'm very curious to see how they can bounce back given the personnel that they have. I I have real concerns. Um, you know, when, when you hear any sort of hand injury for a hitter, like that, that's just very concerning. Like Wagner will probably come back before the end of the season, but he won't be the same hitter like that. It's just very hard to recapture your power quickly when you have a hand injury. Tavian Josenberger is dealing with some sort of hamstring injury. And in the like immediate aftermath, Dave Van Horn was like, well, and those usually take a while. And they do, particularly for somebody who, you know, he, he's running around center field. You know, we're, we're not talking about a, a stationary player and, and they need the help on the pitching side. They need Tiger to come back and be good. You know, Roland did uh, make an appearance in, in yesterday's game. So like that is, that is a bit of positive news for them as well. But They've got to find a way to to recover from this. Uh, it's a big weekend at home against A and M. A and M kind of needs this weekend as well. Like they're they're playing very well. They just went out and won a series at Kentucky. So uh, th- this is it, it's not the biggest series in the SEC this weekend, but it's maybe the one I'm most interested in. Is, is what's happening in Fayetteville? Yeah, it's kind of like. I kind of draw it to or compare it to last week with Tennessee and Vanderbilt and the Razorback situation isn't as dire as Tennessee's was, but they, they really need a series win this weekend against A&M and it's against an A&M team that's been playing well as of late. They're coming off a big series win against Kentucky. And I mean, right now they're not a team I'd want to face, um, especially given their injury trouble. So I'm very, I'm looking forward to see how um, to seeing how Arkansas responds and and if they lose another series, especially at home, um, then I'll really start to be kind of wary of what's going on in in Fayetteville. I mentioned there were five sweeps in SEC play last week, and the other two were LSU taking care of Ole Miss. Hayden Travinsky hit an absolute mammoth mammoth home run, uh, not a mammoth home run, a mammoth home run. 
uh, with LSU down to its last strike in uh, in the finale to send LSU to uh, to to a win and into the first SEC sweep. And then the other one, which was more significant, was Alabama swept Mizzou, pivotal series for both teams' tournament hopes. Mizzou's kind of dead in the water now, and Alabama got a huge boost from that and um, should be able to kick on from here. Though the rest of their season uh, is difficult. This weekend, we already mentioned most of these series, but the the, the highlight is Vanderbilt and Kentucky, uh, A&M and, and Arkansas is, is a big one as well. And, and uh, LSU Alabama is uh, is an intriguing one for me, but I, there are no bad series in, in the SEC this year. Uh, that, that, that's to be sure. But all right, we're uh, we're going to move on to uh, to talk about one of the hottest teams in the country that that is Duke. Duke has a massive series against Virginia coming up this weekend, coming off of a a huge series sweep of Louisville. We're going to get into all of that, all things Blue Devils here in a second. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. All right, Peter, it kind of snuck up on me, uh, but it's been building for, for a little bit here. Duke. Duke is one of the absolute hottest teams in the country. They uh, went out and they swept Louisville last weekend in one of the most exciting series of the weekend because uh, two of the series or two of the games were walk-offs for the Blue Devils. And then the finale was not a walk-off, but they did score the winning run uh, or the go-ahead run in the eighth inning. So three comebacks for the Blue Devils. I mean, it says a lot about their toughness and their bullpen and, you know, just everything, all those kinds of things to be able to do that three times to Louisville. They are... They've won 12 of their last 14 after beating Campbell on Tuesday night. They've surged to the top of the uh, ACC Coastal Division, a half game ahead of Virginia. They've surged into the top 15 of RPI. I have them as hosts in the latest edition of the uh, projected field. And, uh, I mean, we we can talk about their series. uh, Their suddenly massive series against Virginia coming up this weekend. But let's just spend some time on how... Duke has gone here because this is a team that did start the season fine, but but certainly was not playing at this level uh, through the first half of the year. Right. And I think that the strength of this team is the depth that they have on the mound because every single guy that I've seen them roll out is pitching in the mid nineties with a breaking ball that flashes plus and they could throw anyone, I think, on that pitching staff right now and be confident in them going a an extended period of time and getting outs. And what I'm even more impressed by is they've done a lot of this and established themselves as a likely regional host, as being talked about as the class of the ACC, as a potential college. They've done all of this without Jonathan Santucci, who coming into this year was going to be their Friday guy, and he had done well in that role. And he's been out for some time with an injury. It's kind of TBD on when they'll get him back or if they'll get him back. Um, But their bullpen has just been absolute nails. And that's a bullpen that I'd I'd put them up against anyone in the country without a doubt with Fran O'Shell. He's taken a huge jump in his stuff. He's now... He went from last year being more of a pitchability guy to now coming out and pumping 94 to 98 with a plus breaking ball. James Talon is, I think, their best true freshman, and that's saying something with someone like Aiden Weaver, but 6'5 lefty, uncomfortable slot. Andrew Healy, I mean, I could go down the entire Blue Devils pitching staff and give a rave review on basically anybody. So I think they've gotten here with pitching and timely hitting, which is kind of a baseball cliche, but Duke's a perfect example of, of how that works because you're not putting a lot of stress on your offense. They're not pressing for hits and they, and it's just kind of all clicking for them. And they're now two and zero on the season against Campbell. And when it first kind of, I, my first kind of whoa Duke thought was after that series win against Boston College because I look up and I saw their record in the ACC and what they've kind of done this year and I was like okay wow this this series against Louisville is 
suddenly a lot more interesting and then they sweep Louisville and I'm like, okay, this Duke team is, is very, very much for real and, and is one of the top teams in the country. So pitching and timely hitting, I think I've gotten them to this point. Alex Mooney has anchored the offense. They've gotten production from transfer Jay Bashirs, who, who transferred from um, Northwestern and, um, Freshman Andrew Fisher actually broke the freshman home run record, the longstanding freshman home run record at Duke, with, and he now has 10. He's sitting above 300. So everywhere you look, guys are stepping up for the Blue Devils, but I think I'm most blown away by their pitching and the depth that they have on the mound because, again, kind of talking about in a tournament setting with regionals and super regionals and the ACC tournament, you're going to want to have, you know, 10 to 12 guys plus that you're comfortable putting out there in a, in a big time setting. And Duke is one of the very few teams in the country that I think can say that. So they're in a very good spot going forward. I think if they, if they can beat UVA, they are outside of Wake Forest. I think they're the class of the ACC. So Really looking forward to this weekend. So Duke uh, ranks now fifth, fifth in the country in uh, in ERA. This is a team that, like to your point, Santucci is a high level prospect. Like should be a premier Friday night guy, and but he's hurt right now. They they don't have a pitcher that's thrown even forty innings yet this season. But what they have, like they've thrown fifteen pitchers. Uh, for more than 10 innings, I think it is. Uh, it's something incredible. The, the depth that they're rolling out there, the way that they're piecing this together has been, you know, I, it, it just takes a lot to do it that way. Like, it's one thing, and, and like Wake Forest being able to put together the rotation that they have, like, that is special. It's a different kind of special to do it the way that Duke's doing it. And, you know, Brady Kirkpatrick is in his first season as Duke's uh, Duke's pitching coach, and he's done a great job piecing this together. Uh, I can't imagine this is the way that they drew it up. Um, it's obviously not the way that they drew it up without Santucci, uh, but it's uh, it's working for him. And it's working for them at a, at a really, really high level. The, the offense is not the most powerful in the country. Some of that is the park that they play in, uh, you know, playing in, in a triple a ballpark. It, it's a little bit bigger. They're, they're not going to be the power hitting team that some other teams are, but they just do a really good job and they play together really well. They, they fight like that. This weekend was, uh, was very impressive uh, against Louisville, Alex Mooney uh, with, with the incredible walk off grand slam on, uh, on Friday night. And, uh, he and Alex Stone both coming through in the clutch uh, all weekend long was uh, was was massive for the Blue Devils, and right now the only team that has more ACC wins than them is Wake Forest. They, Boston College, and Virginia all have twelve massive series in Charlottesville this weekend, and, and it was made all the more massive because UVA has now lost back to back series. They. Following get, following losing their first series of the year uh, at home against Pitt two weeks ago, they went to South Bend last weekend, and they got swept. And in the way that we were talking about those SEC series and and teams like Georgia and Tennessee kind of recalibrating their 
their postseason hopes with with their sweeps. That's what Notre Dame did. Notre Dame was uh, looking like bubble out at best going into that UVA series, but they flipped it by by getting that that sweep uh, against uh, against Virginia, and now they're sitting at eleven and ten in the ACC. And um, you know the magic number in the ACC is fifteen. Uh, Notre Dame has has three ACC series left. I feel pretty good about them getting to that number and getting in. You know, all of that's great for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame is a really solid team. But for Virginia to go up there and get swept, I mean, that raises some real questions. And they now have to come home and play a series that basically is for the division title that might be for top eight uh, seeding purposes. And uh, they're just going to have to find a way to to get right in immediately because a really good Duke team is coming to uh to Charlottesville this weekend yeah and and credit to Notre Dame because it's a it's a veteran clad bunch not a lot of people were high on them coming into the season and they now sit in a position where they're probably going to have to play themselves out of a tournament bid at this point but with in talking about UVA they get swept against Notre Dame and South Bend and then last night it takes a five run eighth to to, to come back and beat Liberty in a midweek. And while it's still a really good club, um, it, it, they've had kind of their weaknesses show over the, their offense hasn't been as high powered um, as it has been all year. And I think on the mound, they it is absolutely their strength. Um, but they lose to Pitt. They lose a series to Pitt. They get swept against Notre Dame. And the the last team that I'd want to face if I was anyone in the country right now, let alone a UVA team that has lost um, two straight ACC series and three of their last four is Duke. Um, the one thing that they do have going for them is they get them at home, which is where they're twenty four and two. And similar to Arkansas, like you were saying, UVA is only eight and seven in true road games this year, which you know, I, it, that's a problem when you when you start to talk about how they're going to play away from home in a in the in the postseason. But the offense: Griffo, Farrell, Kyle Teal, and Jake Geloff. That's kind of their big three. And then on the pitching on the pitching side of things, it's I I don't know if they maybe have the they certainly do not have the depth that a Duke team does. I think I'm less bullish on the pitching staff um, than I was even in the middle of the year. I just am not sure of, I'm just not as confident in the pitching staff. I'll just, I'll just leave it. I'll just say that, but um, definitely concerned about the who's there. This is not the time of year, obviously that you want to be playing in bad baseball and scuffling they're they're totally fine when it comes to the postseason and honestly probably hosting too but um this is a very important series because there's a chance we're sitting here next wednesday talking about a uva team that has now lost three acc series in a row and then they have to play louisville so um very important series both in the overall acc standings at least in the coastal and then for uva to get right which at this point, I'm I'm certainly not going to bet against Duke and say that Duke is going to lose a series. So um, they've they've got their work cut out for them. Playing at 
UVA is going to be a challenge that Duke should be up to. Uh, it's going to be a tougher road series than really any they've faced. They've been to UNC, which is a tough place to play. But for Duke, it's a little different since they're sleeping in their own beds. And they won a series at BC, which is challenging. Obviously, BC is a good team, and it's challenging because, you know, you're that's a, it's a tough travel weekend. But, you know, the fan support isn't the same as what they'll see this weekend in Charlottesville. So uh, it, it's it's kind of a unique uh, uniquely difficult uh, road test for Duke. If they pass this one, though, I mean, I, I really feel great about them. Like, they still have to go to Miami. Duke has made an incredible rise under Chris Pollard over the last decade. You know, they'd been, they'd had one of those incredible, incredibly long postseason droughts. They, they've gone past that. They've, they've done a lot of, they've won an ACC tournament. They've done a lot of things like this. They're, they've gone to a point where they're just a consistent regional program. They haven't hosted a regional yet. Um, and I, this year it feels like maybe it's going to be the year. It, it's a, it's an interesting like how Duke how how Duke goes about hosting a regional because I think they have to host at Jack Coombs versus hosting it at Durham Bulls Athletic Park so they'll be on campus and their old stadium versus being in the AAA park but uh, you know no matter how it happens if it happens that'd be a, a, another great moment for for Duke baseball and for Chris Pollard as he uh, has continued to uh, to build this program. Flip side of all of this is Louisville. Louisville now eight and ten. In, uh, in the ACC. How concerned are you, Peter? I'm, it's hard to, it's hard to completely discount a, a Dan McDonald coach team, but I, I am absolutely concerned about Louisville and not necessarily about their postseason aspirations. I think that they, you know, they'll get into regional and all of that, but I, I think that their ceiling at this point is pretty limited and, we kind of have seen what they are, which is a good, not necessarily great team. And we've seen flashes of what they can be. Um, but in back-to-back series against Wake and Duke, which are, for what we just talked about, two of probably the best teams in the ACC along with UVA and combine that with a midweek game against Indiana, they they kind of got handled with ease and granted they've been without Christian Napchek for a few games but on offense they just it's been a struggle for them to find production they are not a very power oriented team they're not going to change the game and change the complexion of a game with one swing it's kind of like Jack Payton and Ryan McCoy are their two power guys and other than that it's a bunch of I think singles guys with the ability to shoot the gap or put one over the wall on occasion. So they've really had to pitch at a high level, which they've done with Carson Liggett leading the way with a one, six, four ERA. Um, but outside of Liggett, they've gotten some good production out of their bullpen arms with Tucker Bibbon and Tate Keener and Caleb Corbett now, but it's just kind of, I mean, I think the writing's on the wall there for Louisville. Of course, anything can happen in the postseason, but, I've seen them against the good teams in the ACC and, and, and the better teams in the ACC. And they didn't, and I think that their most impressive weekend to date was, was that sweep over Boston college, um, which is nothing to be down about, but um, that's kind of a, I guess it's just not a super loud 
um, body of work for the Cardinals. And granted, they they get a nice seven to nothing shutout win over rival Kentucky last night on the road. Um, but I think what we have with Louisville is a solid team, um, one that when they're when when everything's clicking and everything's on, they're going to pose a lot of problems. But there's just lack of depth and I think lack of production on both sides of the base, particularly offense. The offense has just been it, it's been a struggle for him. Yeah, speaking of uh, takes that we had earlier in the season or opinions that we were forming that are definitely raw now, there was a time that I, I'm pretty sure I wrote that like Louisville had one of the best pitching staffs in the country and that uh, their pitching staff would like carry them to Omaha and all the rest of it. And um, their the depth has become an issue. They have not been able to recapture what they did in, uh, in Houston at the Shriners tournament in terms of the rotation, which was so, so, so good that weekend. Um, they just haven't been able to find that consistently. And, uh, you know, this weekend, the rotation was, the rotation did its job uh, at Duke. The bullpen let it down, you know, to lose three games, uh, you know, lose the lead in the eighth or the ninth inning three times. I mean, that is, that's brutal. And, you know, credit to Louisville for bouncing back and and going out and winning at Kentucky uh, last night. That's got to help them. They've got Miami coming in this weekend. That's not an easy series. We've talked at length about how good Louisville is at home. They're going to have to use that home field advantage because they are now 8-10. and 10 And, like, I, I hear you. You're not concerned about them getting into the postseason. I mean, I am a little bit. Like, I still have them in. Uh, the, th- the, the issue is just, like, they're running out of time, and they have to get to 15 wins. No ACC team has gotten into the tournament with a losing ACC record since 2016 every year's different like maybe this year will be the year who knows but like you don't want to nc state thought they were going to be fine last year having gone 14 and 15 and reaching the the acc tournament championship game and they got left out so i wouldn't i would want to press my luck if i was an acc team so to get to 15 wins like that means they've got to they got to go uh and, and win seven seven games in, in their last four series completely doable but home against Miami at Clemson at Virginia and then home against Florida state. It's not the easiest path. It's, it's manageable, but they, uh, they, they need to take advantage of their home games because of how good they are uh, at Jim Patterson stadium. So intriguing weekend uh, with Miami uh, on deck for the Cardinals. For sure. And, and looking at their remaining schedule, like you mentioned, it's Miami at home, a really good Clemson team. They'll have to get on the road very good Virginia team that they'll have to get on the road and then they close it with Florida state. And when you made that point with the ACC magic number being 15 and Louisville sitting at eight conference wins, not, not to mention the fact that they're four and eight in true road games, they're in a pretty precarious position. And this Miami series, I think now is pretty close to a must win because if you drop two and you only get one, against Miami, you're now going to have to win at least they're probably going to have to win the remaining three series or, or pull off a sweep of someone, which is not going to be easy considering who they have left. So the, the magnitude of this Miami series and the importance of this Miami series is, has, has skyrocketed for them after the, the egg that they laid this past weekend. Yeah, I never, uh, when I'm doing projections, I never want to just project a sweep, like, because that just usually isn't realistic. 
But to get Louisville to 15 wins and to include them in the, the field this week, I have them sweeping Florida State. I think by the end of the season, Florida State will have they'll be ready to, to pack that one in and they'll, they'll, they'll be halfway to their summer ball assignments already by, by that weekend. I am sure. Uh, so I am willing to give, I'm willing to spot Louisville those three wins, but that still means they have to win one of the other series. And so this weekend's their best shot at that. So big one, big one for Louisville, big weekend around the ACC. Also very intrigued with uh, Clemson going up to Duke Clemson is coming off of a sweep of NC State that was pivotal to both of those teams' postseason hopes. I now have NC State bubble out. They already have 12 ACC losses, and again, 15 is the magic number. It's going to be real hard for NC State to get to that now. Uh, and Clemson is surging, not quite at the Duke level, but they're surging. Uh, they're 9-9 nine and nine in the ACC, and they finished difficult, can dig themselves out of the hole that they put themselves in. Uh, in, in the first part of ACC play and, and the tournament is uh, very much on the table after that that sweep in Raleigh which uh, I mean truly was stunning uh, I, I did not see that one coming at all that of, of all of these sweeps that we'll talk about around the country last weekend honestly that one might have been the biggest surprise to me like I Georgia Arkansas probably still remains that but Clemson over NC State I, I really did not see that one coming Right, and neither did I, and that was a real blow for NC State with their tournament hopes. Like you mentioned, it's going to be – it is a really uphill battle for them to get to the 15 now, and all of a sudden Clemson has played themselves into the postseason, and the ACC is – I mean, it's not a mess on the level that the Big 12 is at, but it is – it's hard to figure out outside of Wake – Duke and UVA as the three best teams in the conference. Other than that, I think that anyone can beat beat up on anyone on any given weekend. And this Clemson Boston college series is very intriguing this weekend. Clemson playing really well. BC also playing really well coming off of their first ever sweep and first ever wins in Chapel Hill, which I think is right up there for most surprising results of the weekend with you um, having Clemson over NC state as a BC football fan and basketball fan, I've been so used to being let down time and time again, but this baseball team has done just the exact opposite for its fans. And so them going on the road and sweeping a a previously ranked North Carolina team, I thought was pretty stunning. And especially it looked like BC was kind of reverting, I guess, back to past year's form where the season was just kind of going to turn into a pumpkin and they were in a spiral, but they come down, they go down to Chapel Hill, they they sweep the Tar Heels, they win, a, they win an exciting game in the finale to complete the sweep. Um, so this is a very intriguing series now with a BC team that in your latest field of 64 is projected to host, and they welcome a very solid Clemson team to Chestnut Hill. So very intriguing series on tap. I... I kind of, man, in talking through this, I really like this Clemson team. And now this is the first year of the coach package era. And for as great of a coach and as great of a recruiter he is, they're only going to get better. But what he's got going right now is is pretty special too, especially with freshman Cam Canarella hitting 400, Cooper Ingle stepping up, Will Taylor, also the Clemson football wide receiver playing well. So, a, a very good one on tap in Chestnut Hill that that I'm excited to see how the Tigers carry over the momentum from 
another key road series win. That's a team that's gotten a lot better. Uh, when I saw them early in the season, I, I watched them watch pretty much all of their series against South Carolina early. And I was like, well, okay, they're good. They ran out of pitching. Well, they're healthier. They figured out some things on the mound. They know who they've got, who they don't, who, you know, who they don't have. And, uh, they're, they're playing just so much better as, as a result of all of that. And I, I think they're, um, they're going to be a problem down the stretch. Their, their closing schedule is, is a challenge for them, but it's, uh, everything is to play for after what they did, uh, in Raleigh last weekend. Uh, let's head out west. The big series last weekend uh, was Arizona State against Oregon State. That one was a wild one. Uh, Oregon State got up huge early on uh, on ASU and uh, barely held on on Friday night, but they did hold on for a win. The good thing from ASU's perspective was they mounted a, a comeback, forced Oregon State to pitch their best bullpen arms, uh, which would have a significant impact on the rest of the series. If uh, if ASU doesn't mount that impact, doesn't mount that comeback, and Oregon State has fresh relievers on Saturday and Sunday, I think the series goes differently. As it was, Arizona State was able to rebound from that loss, come back, win the series, remain in first place in the Pac-12. And uh, look, I still have some skepticism about Arizona State. This is still a team that's short on the mound. They made Oregon State look like a really good offense, and that's uh, th- that's just not the case. Oregon State's a pitching and defense team, but Arizona State uh, show- really showed me something with their resilience. They lost twenty to nothing to Arizona uh, in the midweek. They get down huge to Oregon State on Friday. They could have folded. They could have folded the entire week, but they didn't. They, like I said, they fought back on Friday night change the complexion of the weekend by doing so, and then come out and and, and finish off the series win. That was super impressive, the resiliency they showed, because after that Friday night loss, which where they went down big early, they they make it really interesting with a six-round eighth inning, and then they go quietly in the ninth to lose. That's a tough one to bounce back from and a tough Saturday game to get up for. And... It, it showed early on. I mean, they, they overcame a 5 nothing deficit and a 10-6 to deficit in the same game. And like you said, they got to an Oregon State pitching staff that has been excellent all year. And you look at a guy like Ryan Brown, especially he had given up one earned run in his first 19 and a third innings. And Arizona State tags him for four earned in two thirds of an inning in his um, uh, Saturday appearance. And they did the same thing with AJ Hutchison, not the four earned in two thirds, but they made a shutdown bullpen arm look pretty human. And they made a excellent rotation. I mean, they got to, they got to an excellent rotation and I'm with you in that their offense is excellent with Ryan Campos and Luke Kieschel. They've also gotten production out of a duo of freshmen in Luke Hill and Nuke Trotis, Jacob Tobias anchoring the right side of the infield at first base. But the pitching staff is just one that I'm a little concerned with. They've also kind of dealt with some injuries, and I'm just not totally sold on the starting rotation. Now, that's not to say that they're a great team. I think they're a very good team, but I just kind of question their ceiling at this point. I do kind of tend to still 
think and lean towards Stanford being the class of the Pac-12. But last weekend did show us a lot about the Sun Devils. I mean, they're 12th for a reason. Is some of that due to other teams falling and being swept? Absolutely. But, I mean, that's a big series win. We had, we had talked about it last week, how, how good Oregon State was and how sound a brand of baseball they play with their great defense and pitching. Their defense was fine. But, again, ASU gets a really good pitching staff. They get a nice win over Cal State Fullerton in midweek. Last night, last night being Tuesday, we will know, as you're listening to this, we'll have known what happened in today's midweek game against Cal State Fullerton. But that takes them into another key Pac-12 series this weekend against the Ducks of Oregon on the road in Eugene. Yeah, another big one uh, as they do the the Oregon double here. Oregon coming off of a series win at Cal. I mean, that's not anything... uh, you know, as impressive as what Arizona State's coming off of, but both of them coming in with some momentum. Oregon projected right now uh, in, in the latest field of 64 as a host. It's not the most like solid uh, hosting spot, though, I would say. And Arizona State is sitting there, RPI 28, as we talk on uh, on Wednesday. We'll see what happens after that, that Fullerton game today. Hosting is within range for the Sun Devils. I've said before on the podcast that I'm still somewhat skeptical because of how difficult their remaining schedule is. Oregon State was a nice start to that for for the Sun Devils. They've got to keep it going, though. But because of how difficult the schedule is, it means that they have the ability to lift that RPI. And if they're able to do that, I mean, this is a team that I I think could be in in the hosting conversation. They're going to need it this weekend on the road. Uh, in Eugene, I think, however, not an easy place to go, particularly if you're if you're a team that is, you know, as offensive as Arizona State is, you're going to a more uh, a, a park that's less offensive friendly, though it plays a little bit bigger now than it did when it opened. They've adjusted the, the dimensions to, to help that along. Uh, but I, I think this is a really interesting matchup uh, in terms of some contrasting styles. Oregon has had some really good starting pitching lately, particularly from Chase Stoffel on uh, on Friday nights. So for me, this is a, a very intriguing uh, series, probably the, the best one out West this weekend. And they're a little bit like, they're kind of a blend of, of Oregon State and Arizona State, the Ducks are, because they've got more depth, I think, offensively, than the Beavers do with Sabine Ceballos and Drew Cowley, Colby Shade, Tanner Smith, and Riku Nishida. I mean, that's a pretty solid five with a guy like Jacob Walsh being your power guy with 11 home runs. And then not to mention, like you said, Jace Stofall has been a real anchor for them now on Friday nights. Logan Mercado, we've seen what he can do with this complete game shutout of Stanford. And then they've gotten excellent pitching out of their bullpen with Josh Mulleris and Austin Anderson's been great. And then freshman Matthew Grabman has actually stepped up on Sunday's forum. So heading up to PK Park, I think that, and it's and it's a, not too crazy to say, but I think that this weekend is potentially even a little bit more of a challenge, I'd say, for for the Sun Devils to keep this thing going because it's going to be cold up in Oregon and Oregon's a really good team. You're playing on the road. And in terms of hosting, which is still very much in the picture for them, given their RPI, their within striking distance, and their body of work, um, they 
while they're going to be able to strengthen that RPI, their remaining schedule is very, very difficult after today's, today being Wednesday, after their game with Cal State Fullerton, they have one midweek left in the season and it's against UC Riverside. But on the weekends, it's at Oregon, home against Stanford, at USC, and home against UCLA. And none of those, by any stretch, you can, I think, chalk up as a win for either team in that series because I think they're all all four going to be um, very well played and very intriguing. But it gets a lot tougher for the Sun Devils. And I don't want to say they need this series against Oregon to host, but it's one that's going to really go a long way for them when, when we get to Selection Monday and we're discussing and the committee's discussing various teams' body of work and hosting. So ASU enters their own little gauntlet to close the season, and it, it, it this is a this is a big one up in Eugene. Uh, one more uh, for this coming weekend to uh, to look at, and then we'll look at a couple more of the significant results from last weekend. This coming weekend, we have a showdown at the top of the Big Ten. It is Indiana hosting Maryland. IU has a one-game lead. Uh, the Terps. The Hoosiers are in a position to host. Their RPI is 13. Uh, they're 31 and 11. They're rolling right now. They've won eight straight, including a win uh, against Louisville uh, last week. Very impressive. I've been impressed with the way Indiana has pitched. They have some offensive firepower. Maryland has some big time arms, some offensive firepower of their own. I think this is probably going to be an offensive weekend. They often are at Bart Kaufman. Uh, and low key, Bart Kaufman has been an incredibly difficult place to go uh, play this season. 22 and 1, Indiana is at home. Maryland knows what's what's on at stake. They're the reigning Big Ten champs. Uh, if they want to, to repeat, they got to get it done this weekend. You know, it's. Uh, it's neither of these teams I think is as good as Maryland was a year ago, but I think Indiana is a really good team in their own right. And I think Maryland's a really good team in their own right. If you can kind of remove the, the 2020 Terp, 2022 Terps from your mind, uh, you can really appreciate what the 2023 Terps are. Matt Shaw has been incredible for them. And uh, just, uh, I, I think this is a, uh, a really fun showdown between the two best teams in the conference. No doubt. And it, and one of the most underrated stats maybe out there is that Indiana is 22 and one at home. They're just eight and nine in true road games. But um, like you said, how great of a team last year's Terrapins bunch was, it might, it might make this Maryland team seem a little bit underwhelming to, to some folks, but don't get it twisted that this is also a very quality Maryland team. What they did last year is hard to replicate, but like you said, Matt Shaw's been great, and they've gotten Nick LaRusso has very quietly been he he's produced one of the more impressive years of um, of anyone on offense. He's hitting three sixty seven with fourteen doubles, fifteen home runs, sixty six RBIs. He's got more extra base hits than strikeouts, and he's been excellent. Eddie Hakopian too, Luke Schliger, and on the mound, Jason Savakul has kind of been their guy on Fridays, um, who's been um, he's been awesome. So it's going to be tough going to IU twenty two and one. They they're the class of the the Big Ten. 
pitching has been great on offense. Brock Tibbetts has been otherworldly lately. Freshman Devin Taylor. So it's um, it's going to be a really good series. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it shakes out. Absolutely. Um, the Big Ten is not at the top of anybody's mind this year because most of these teams haven't been ranked. We moved Indiana in this week, but I, I, I think that it's a, it's a series worth keeping an eye on this weekend. Last weekend, we saw a couple of other first-place showdowns in the Sun Belt. It was Coastal Carolina and Southern Miss. Coastal comes away with the series win there. They won the first two games. They dropped 35 runs in the first two games. Southern Miss did get a nice win, a nice offensive win. They won 15-7 to uh, of their own on Sunday. But Coastal consolidates its position atop the, the Sun Belt standings and as a potential top eight seed uh, with that series win. And then Indiana State took care of business against Southern Illinois. They swept at home. The Sycamores did. They have a 14-game winning streak. Their RPI is now nine. And I said a week ago that we would have to take them seriously as potential hosts if they won this series. I am now taking them so seriously as potential hosts. I think it's going to happen. I projected it this week. I, I think that their resume is going to end up, end up looking a lot like Georgia Southern's did a year ago. Georgia Southern was rewarded with the host. Um, I've been to Terre Haute. Uh, it's been a while since I've been to Terre Haute, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's not a place that, you know, they, they have a very nice uh, tradition at Indiana State. It's not a place I would have expected a regional to end up, but uh, here we are. And I, I think it has a very real chance of happening. Uh, they're they're playing uh, really really well. They're clearly the best team in the valley this year. And uh, uh, shouts to the Sycamores who, you know, I, I they can pitch it. Uh, that that's typically what they do really well, and, and they're doing it again this year. Mitch Han is again doing a great job uh, at Indiana State. I was gonna say I was <laughs> from a sheer also fan of the game perspective. I was so fired up when I saw Indiana State as that 16th host um, in in the projected field of 64 today, and that's a great point comparing them to Georgia Southern of last year because it's eerily similar. I mean. The six RPI is, I think it's sitting they're They're ninth right now in the country in the Missouri Valley. They really should not lose another series the rest of the way that Missouri state wanted to close it out is interesting. Um, but they, it, it's going to be pretty smooth sailing for them. They've got a tough midweek against Illinois, but, and they go to Missouri, but it's a really, really talented bunch. This was a team we were talking about even ranking. Um, this past week, and they were one of the first couple of teams we omitted from the 25, but they are right there in in top 25 territory. And like you said, they can really pitch it. Matt Jacek on the mound on Fridays has been excellent. He's a strike thrower. And then out of the bullpen, Jared Spencer, 6'5 lefty, or 6'3 lefty with the flowing red hair, I mean, he's been up to 96 with a plus slider, and then they've got a great supporting cast with Cameron Holy Cross, great last name. Shout out to Holy Cross. Um, but no, this is a this is a very good ball club. They are for real, and whether they're a host or a two seed or a three seed, whatever it ends up being, nobody is going to want to see this Indiana State team because I think that what they've done is not just a byproduct of facing a 
a lesser schedule. Um, I, I think that this is a team that can compete with the best in the country. Yeah, they've faced an elite schedule. In, in fact, their non-conference strength of schedule is number one. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not a byproduct of anything. Now, you can argue that they've lost an awful lot of those games, and that is a ding on their resume right now. They're just 2-9 and nine against RPI top 50 teams. Uh, one of those wins, however, came last week against Vanderbilt in a midweek. And I know that that's going to come up. It's going to come up in the committee room. It's going to come up on your TV screen when people are talking about should they host, should they not host. I'm just here to tell you that Georgia Southern also had a losing record against the top 50 and their record against the top 25 was pretty bad last year. And they still, if Indiana state finishes with the top 15 RPI with an elite strength of schedule, the way they have now they're number one in non-conference strength of schedule 24 in strength of schedule overall, and they run away with the Valley title. And honestly, even if they don't run away with the Valley title, but like they're probably going to, that team's going to host. They're going to be rewarded for all of that because it's just going to be like, well, what what else did you want them to do? You know, sorry that they only went two and nine against top 50 teams or whatever it ends up being, but like they're going to have done everything else that the committee asks teams to do. And I, I, I think it's I think it's great if, uh, if that does end up happening. Uh, right now, the area like around southern indiana and into kentucky uh is overrepresented with hosts because you know kentucky and and uh iu and indiana state are all all in the mix right now but as a as a midwesterner you love to see it and uh you know i i'm i'm very intrigued by where the sycamores go the rest of the season but you know i i don't know how well they'll do in a regional. Obviously, that didn't go great for Georgia Southern last year. I, you know, Who knows? But I, I just think it's great that we're talking about Indiana State this way uh, and that a program like that is able to uh, uh, you know, break out. It's, a, it's been a good, solid program for years, but th- this is the kind of breakout season that you love to see for, uh, for a mid-major like that. Yeah, and, and like you said, the fact that we're even talking about it, and I know as a coaching staff, they're not going to hang their hat on hey, we were talked about on April 26th as a regional host, but it is a testament to to how good Indiana State is and how great of a job that staff's done. And to your point, that regional, if it, if it shook out as Indiana State, ASU, Notre Dame, and Central Michigan, that is a pretty, pretty tough draw. Yeah, so you wanted to host a regional, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you probably get the last, one of the last teams left out of a regional hosting spot, a really solid Notre Dame team, and then the class of the Mac. So, um, and that's an Arizona State team that can really swing it. So no matter who they end up hosting or no matter who they end up going to, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty loaded regional because I figure if, if they don't host, they're going to be one of the more difficult two or three seeds that a team can draw in the country, I think. So no matter what, wherever the Sycamores are, it is going to be a pretty, pretty difficult regional. Let's uh, let's make sure they play Stanford. Let's match up the trees. That's uh, that's what I want. Let's, uh, let's make oh, that, I need that yeah. make that happen. Selection committee or just uh, you know Mitch Hanna's David Esker. Like let's let's get a let's get a midweek uh, or a, a weekend series next year. Let's uh, let's get the trees matched up against each other. That's uh, that's where I'm at right now. And that means that we've talked for enough time on this uh, this edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, make sure you're subscribed uh, to the Baseball America podcast for 
you know, we'll come at you once a week. We'll be back here again next week, uh, talking more college baseball. I'll have more tree talk, maybe who knows. So hit that subscribe or follow button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And all the all the writing is over at BaseballAmerica.com. That's where you can see that latest uh, edition of the uh, of the projected field of 64 and where uh, later in the week, Peter will get you ready for uh, for the weekend with your, your weekend previews. So uh, make sure you head over to the website to check that all out as well. For Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.